Hello, welcome to the Comic Connoisseurs. Uh, tonight we'll be talking about one of my favorite trades. Uh, we'll talk about uh, Chuck Dixon's, in my opinion, brilliant Robin Year One and Batgirl Year One. Uh, of course, I'm my co-host, Jason from Saskatoon. Good evening. And also with us is uh, brother from another podcast, TV's Mr. Neil. Holy rusted metal, Batman. Uh, <laughs> so huh? the reason it's, why... It's rusted metal and it's got holes in it, get it? It's holy. But uh, the reason why uh, I wanted to do this was because uh, looking at a lot of the older comics that I love, and also I wanted Neil here because Neil is, in my opinion, the right kind of comic book normie to, to have on about this. Because Neil didn't grow up reading issue by issue of like DC or Marvel books like no. I did or JD did or Red Ink did. But Neil knows of these characters and knows enough of what they're supposed to be in the public zeitgeist to know who these characters are should be at their best. And I think that that sort of uh, 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 perspective would be extremely interesting to hear when presented like a graphic novel or trade like uh, the uh, Robin and Batgirl year one uh, combo. And uh, again, by the brilliant Chuck Dixon in the 90s at his heyday. So let's just start with Neil. What is your overall impression of these uh, two storylines? Um, well, I like the first one. I thought it was a really cool uh, early Robin story. Kind of goes through the, oh, sorry, the pitfalls of um, you know taking on a, a, a ward and the dangers that that can arise from having to uh, having to rely on and also uh, watch out for another, another uh, being as opposed to just doing it yourself. And then the second one I didn't like as much just cause it was kind of a, an origin story. It had its moments. Uh, it had uh, black canary, but otherwise I'm just, I, We'll get into it later, but I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of origin stories. But fortunately, it wasn't all that. It was uh, it was kind of like a back and forth between uh, Barbara and her father because the whole there's a whole subplot about him suspecting that his his own daughter is Batgirl, and how is he how is he going to find out? How is she going to explain this and get him off her, off her back and all that? So good story, but like the whole thing with like having to make the costume and you know all of that it's like it's the superhero origin story that i typically don't like if you want to gloss over and say it happens off screen yeah yeah i'm the thing is thing about me is that i like i like the established superhero i know who batman is i know who superman is i know who spider-man is i don't need to have the story retold to me a dozen times. I think the movies have really kind of gotten under my skin with that because every time there's a reboot, there's a new Batman or a new Superman, we're going to go through the whole thing all over again. Going to have to watch the Waynes get iced outside the outside of the theater again. I'm just like, can we just skip this and just do, do the James Bond thing? We're like, it's we're like so much time has passed that like all these movies can't possibly be the same guy, but just accept that we know that this is basically the same person living in different time uh different time eras and you know just go with it just put them on an adventure i don't need an origin story i'm tired of origin stories so that's that's kind of my perspective why i was like less enamored with batgirl fair enough but yeah uh, so uh 
JT, let's hear your assessment of uh, Chuck Dixon's uh, brilliant work here. Well, first of all, I just want to say I agree with Neil in terms of the origin story. Like some of these characters like Spider-Man, Batman, Superman, Robin, you know, the whole Bat family. They've been around long enough that like 90% of people that go to see a movie, we we don't need to see... uh, Papa Winchester and Maggie from The Walking Dead die in the first five minutes. Zack Snyder, get over yourself. <laughs> I had to say that. But, like, we should know these stories by now because they've been around so long. We know Jesus' story almost verbatim, but how do we... Why do we have to keep being reminded how Batman had to watch his parents die in order to get this thing? Now, that being said, I love how the, all the various parts you know all the ingredients came together for barbara gordon to become batgirl in this story uh chuck dixon's always been one of my favorite uh batman writers uh i would i do like to say i like her classic silver age origin in that how she was driving to a costume party dressed as quote-unquote batgirl and then she became batgirl to save bruce wayne from killer moth along the way and she's like you know what this is kind of fun i'm gonna keep doing it (laughs) <laughs> but uh, one of the things that I loved about this story is how that how Chuck Dixon was paired with the perfect artist for this series. Uh, uh, Marcos Martin, who uh, also did the covers, because there's some like Marcos has this very simplified almost Silver Age kind of style to his art. And that's something I think pairs very well with Chuck Dixon's writing and like how he gets into the nuances. Like, you know, we're in the middle of the DC... We're we're, we're in the middle of that classic post-crisis DC timeline, how, you know, Gordon probably ran in his early days in Gotham, ran with the Justice Society or ran across them a few times before they went to their self-imposed exile. So they still had their headquarters there. We got Bruce is still Batman, but in that early, he's prone to making a mistake now and again. And he's got still got that he hasn't quite got with the whole Bat family thing. And I honestly can't get enough of this style of... It's not year one specifically, it's like year one plus six weeks like some time has passed they've like the robin miniseries that you mentioned like it starts with dick grayson already being robin and then you know we see what he goes through until he okay now by the end of the story is robin like this one it's truly is the origin of batgirl but by the end of it she is batgirl also did you guys read this in single issues or trades because trades okay I actually have this series in single issues. It took me a little bit of digging through the library to find them. Mm. Well, Dear Lord, it took a while. And let's talk about the Robin uh, story first, because I think that that one has a lot of very great and interesting ingredients in there, too, because, um, again, I feel like this is Chuck Dixon at his best, at his finest, at his most... Uh, uh, useful and and uh, powerful and meaningful in the story um because there are certain subtleties to the story that i you don't see very often um 
like the whole sub story about the Mad Hatter kidnapping girls mm-hmm. and you know very clearly human trafficking but it's done in such a way that it is dare I say age appropriate for a younger reader but at the same time for an older reader it's horrifying enough that that the, that it it bothers you which I think is the right way to handle a sensitive topic like that um and it sort of works with a character like Robin, you know, who is a young man, or not even a young man yet, and he's trying to find his place as Batman's partner or sometimes a solo act. Like, that's really one of the strengths is, is figuring out who Dick Grayson is, or Dick Grayson trying to figure out who he is as well. Um, just overall a great story and as neil says we don't follow the 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 tony zuko story at all in here about (laughs) that's the you know that's implied in like one panel but it's not it's not a shadow over the entire story yeah and in a parallel to jason todd's story a little bit like specifically that you guys have seen the under the red hood animated film i have yes okay so like that last scene where uh, Bruce Greenwood, who I wholeheartedly endorse as the new voice of Batman after the passing of our Lord and Master, you know, Kevin Conroy, uh, where Jason's like, this is the greatest day of my life. I like how in the beginning of Robin year one, Dick has that same energy. That he has that, he doesn't have that, he has that ignorance of fear, if you will, about you know, he's going out after these guys. He hasn't been laid out and lit up by a bad guy yet to the, like, this isn't a game. Like, he still has that mentality that this is all fun and games, despite everything Batman's put him through in his training. And I really like that. And how over the course of the story, he's, he never loses that inner light that Dick has always had. But he does get some of those, get some pretty hard edges on him over the course of the story, especially as we get into the back half where he runs away from home and joins up with this dude Shrike and his little Faggins mob of uh, street urchins. I really like that because by the end of it, you know, Dick rounds a corner. He's like, he has a very good idea of who he is now. He doesn't completely know who he is as a person, but he he's learned and he's progressed as a character by the end of the story. Right. And I got to say the one thing that I didn't know is uh, Chuck Dixon created the fake country of Relasia with this story. Cause the only other time I remember that country ever being mentioned in any DC media is when it's brought up in, I want to say season one or season two of young justice. Mm. And mm. I had, and it's one of those details that, like, I noticed stuff like that. Like, I, okay, this was a thing before the animated series. Cool. That's neat. But, but another addition about what I like about this is, is it not only shows these characters, and as I said, as close to their best as we should get them as readers, but it also really puts an emphasis on like how these characters act and react as their best. Like, like Gordon is horrified at the concept of a Robin because 
you know, this is a very new thing in this storyline. So it doesn't, it, you know, you know, Batman running around with it, with a young teenager, throwing him in the harm's way is, is absolutely horrifying. And, you know, after the encounter with Two-Face, you know, Gordon is, is ready to arrest Batman yeah. because like, he's like, there, there's no way he's alive with that amount of blood. And, and what I also like about it is there's this great scene where, where Gordon sees Robin again, you know, just wearing a mask after the encounter with Mr. Freeze. And it's like, Gordon's actually honestly relieved that, Oh, you actually are alive. It's like, and like they had the conversation between the two is actually really nice. It's moments like this that really is where Chuck Dixon really shines as an author where you get a sense that he knows who these characters are and he's showing it to you. Like in the, in the Robbins story, Neil, what are some of your favorite scenes? Well, um, I did like that. I like, I like the, the, uh, the way Gordon would warm up to Robin over time. Oh, am I, am I muted? You cut off, you cut off for one second. Oh, okay. I like the way that, that Gordon would uh, warm up to Robin over time. I, I know that there was, uh, Early on, it's like it's like you know what the hell are you doing dragging this kid around with you in those short pants? What the hell's going on? <laughs> and, but like after a while, he, he kind of warms up, and he, I, I, that was a massive hurdle. And I, I don't know if I completely buy it. Just just the fact that like that uh, Gordon did did such a sharp turn after seeing like how much blood this kid lost and must have been uh, recuperating for quite a while, and 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 then I. I have a tendency to overthink scenes. So like, so my, my alternate theory is that, is that, uh, Gordon probably said, uh, well, wait a minute, if this kid's okay, then it must've been someone else who died at the scene. It wasn't the judge. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. it's like all these questions that should be going through Gordon's mind. I was just like, eh, he, he kind of, uh, reversed his, uh, his thinking on this maybe a little too quickly, but like, it's a cartoon. It's a comic. So yeah. Well, I mean, there's lots there's, of things wrong if you think about it. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, this is a world where. How does the guy with all the money in Gotham not be a vigilant? Like, how does no one figure out that Bruce Wayne's Batman? Because yeah. clearly he has the money. But you know, talking about how Gordon uh, deals with the concept of Robin, I love that scene where he does that kind of over the shoulder look at Batman is like, if this kid gets hurt, I'm coming down on you like a ton of yeah. fucking bricks. Because you know reminded, Jim Gordon will do that too. It kind of reminded me of the episode of the animated series with, with Batgirl when Batgirl died. And oh, how, yeah. how Jim Gordon came down on Bruce Wayne like yeah. real fast. It's like, it wasn't that hard to figure out, Bruce. Yeah. And, uh, and I really think that these two are meant to be read to next, you know, back to back, uh, Robin year one and Batgirl year one, because like, I have to assume that it's constructed that way because the way the killer moth shows up in the Robin year one. Well, there definitely is a hookup. Uh, yeah. the, the last scene in, in the Robin, in the Robin part is, <laughs> uh, is when, is when they see, uh, Barbara for the first time. And he says something like, uh, forget about a kid or something like that. Yeah. And yeah. then they, they call back to that. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so, 
let's talk about Batgirl Year One, which I I highly enjoy, and I get what you're saying, Neil, about we know the story, yeah. but part of me not, likes. Go ahead. It's not really that much of a problem with Batgirl per se, because you know Batgirl doesn't have an origin story, but still, it's just that the I've seen origin stories so time so many times that it kind of wears on me, like. The whole thing with like, oh, I gotta have the scene of making the suit, and like, here's how she gets her climbing gear, and it's like, oh, come on, well, that's the. I start, I start going a little cross-eyed when that stuff stuff starts happening. Fair enough, but I like seeing the reasons why because I because mm-hmm. you get a sense of who Barbara Gordon is, or this version of Barbara Gordon, who again, as close to them at their best that I think that people should see. Uh, she is someone who wants to be in the action someone who wants to be in law enforcement but and mm-hmm. that it might seem silly it might seem silly now but police departments used to have a height requirement mm-hmm. um they don't now and uh honestly i think if most police officers were like six foot one versus like a five foot four petite female maybe less people would be willing to like mouth back at them that's just a thought who knows um but that's the thing is Barbara is continually told she's too short, you know, um, you know, she can't do it. And the one thing I like about this is like with any other writer, with any other team, like something even done two years later, it would come off as extremely, you know, boss, you know, lady boss, you go girl super ultra feminist story but here it comes off as just more of a character story it's a really good character story yeah and both stories on that topic it's refreshing to read a comic where everybody talks normally yes (laughs) and and there there aren't like talking points it's like (laughs) wow this is like how people used to talk (laughs) it's so it's so it's so unusual now yeah and Again, I, I like like all these things where Barbara goes through extreme lengths to sort of find what her answer is. And one of my sequences I like is where she breaks into the Justice Society uh, headquarters to leave a note for Black Canary to like mm-hmm. say, "Hey, do you need a protege? I want to be your protege." And you know, great scene where it's Wildcat who answers it, not Black Canary, because. Uh, mm-hmm. Because I, I love Wildcat as a character. You rarely see him and rarely see him written well either. Um, <laughs> um, and I like the idea that she comes up with this Batgirl costume. More of a way to sort of get under her dad's skin than to uh, be a superhero. And it's only because of the uh, madness at the at the costume party that she becomes Batgirl. I like that idea. With all of a sudden, like, she finds what she needs, and that's an idea I enjoy. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> uh, Killer Moth is the main antagonist of the story, and I think this is a good point of where you don't need a... Uh, you don't need a powerful or threatening antagonist to make a good story. Because lots of people be like, well, Killer Moth isn't a threat. We need to put her against one of the big Batman villains. Like, that's not important to the story of where she gets where she needs to be. Like, 
Like, and in, in, like, people shouldn't feel like, oh, she didn't really get to shine because she fought against a lame villain. I, I think that that's a silly way of looking at it. Well, if you're gonna if you're gonna win your first fight, it's gonna be against a lame villain, <laughs> as far as anybody oh, goes. Fight the jobber. Yeah, fight the jobber. Well, who do you think Killer Moth was? <laughs> oh, He's the, the Brooklyn Brawler of the DC universe. <laughs> that does a disservice to the Brooklyn Brawler, Neil. He's wow. clearly Duke the Dumpster Drowsy. <laughs> the, Barry the Horowitz. Thing, yeah. And, and the but, one but, thing I love about the Batgirl mini is part of her, at least what I think goes into Barbara's decision to become Batgirl is you look even in the first issue, uh, how many times she comes across guys who are belittling her and talking down to her and treating her like, oh, you're just a silly girl. Mm-hmm. Like, that has to be part of her, or at least that goes into her decision to become bad girls. Like, I'm going to show all these men. And not to make it a man versus woman kind of thing, just, you know, she's got something to prove. She wants to prove her worth, not only to herself in her mind, but also these assholes who think they're better than her. Which is something that goes to Robin. Like, Robin, one of the best things about the Robin miniseries is how much of the story is predicated on Dick proving himself to Batman. Like, well, again, I, what I like about that is, bec- is because it's not an overly strong, overt, feminist, lady boss story here. It's a story about Barbara Gordon without being those other things. It's just a character story. And I, I agree to a point about we don't need to see someone shooting up and get their equipment, but some of the scenes I like is the stuff like at the beginning of Barbara's decision to continue being Batgirl. She's stopping a convenience store robbery, and <laughs> she doesn't have battering. She doesn't have equipment. All she has is her martial arts. So mm-hmm. she, she fills a fucking plastic bag with, with, with canned soup and uses mm-hmm. that as a bludgeon. That would work. And like I said, I like those sorts of things where, where we get to see that even without the equipment, without the, without the, you know, bat stuff, she still is able to at least make an honest attempt and, and prevail somewhat. I do admit that the story is a little bit slow with the stuff about, you know, Robin and, and Batman sort of, trying her out and testing her out, that stuff is slow. And I I definitely have an issue with the pacing of that part. Um, I like that she's not good right away. Like, there was yes. the one part where she went leaping off of a building and Batman actually cut her rope and, and Robin had to swing in to save her because if she, <laughs> if, if she had, like, if that rope had gone taut while she was at term- terminal velocity, she would have died. <laughs> Yeah, it would have. So they're like, nope. out of the socket. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah like it's, it, it, go ahead. Go ahead, JT. I'm saying I just love that scene of her shredding the vest and uh, making her, you know, I'd like to know how she made her little ninja stars and she has the homemade taser. And it just goes to my love of, like, when it comes to the utility belt, I like them with those pockets on the side, not, not the, uh, 
like Batman 89 belt, which maybe has those ampules off to the side or some that have like these super condensed like lock picks and shit like that. But just the end of that issue where she's made this ad hoc, like you said, she's got her ad hoc, you know, rope and everything. And you can tell from the way, uh, you know, Marcus Martinez got that little smile on her face. Like she has that Robin, like you have no idea how fucking dangerous this is. Do you woman? Like, <laughs> my, like my God, like Batman was doing you a favor. I'm not saying you shouldn't be Batwoman. Just why did you think that was a good, let's call, climb to the top of Wayne tower and jump off. This makes perfect sense. <laughs> you know, but she's so enthralled and enamored with the you know the romanticism of the vigilante crime fighter that she hopes to be that Barbara Gordon who law over the long years in comics we've all read she has proven herself to be the one with the most common sense to a degree mm-hmm. although I think the title for that resides with Dr. Leslie Tompkins uh you can like here she clearly has no concept of the enormity of what she's trying to do cuz Again, she leaps off a goddamn building with a rope she got at Home Depot. And then Bat hit, Batman hits her with the bat knockout gas and she wakes up in the Batcave. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about the secondary villain of this story because we talked about how the primary villain is Killer Moth. Right. Um, Firefly, the arsonist turned supervillain. Um, Again, you get a good sense of who this character is. The fact that he is insane, literally an insane man who works as a special effects pyrotechnics guy. And one of the most telling scenes with him is like he sets up this shoot where an explosion goes off and the main actress for this movie gets severely burned. Like, like career ending burned yeah she's not coming back and and lynn's asks for the footage (laughs) they're like get the get the fuck out of here don't ever come back (laughs) yeah 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 this this both of these comics people people die (laughs) Like in really yeah. violent and horrible ways. And, and just the way the, the director is like, you you want it? Get the fuck out! Yeah. And, and, and again, the character works in a very weird way. Like, both these characters work, and these stories work, and the, because lots of horrible, awful, grisly, adult violence happens here, but at the same time, this is, these are books I would think are entirely safe for like a 12-year-old to read. You would think that with the art, but then you have that scene where Moth and Firefly roll into a strip club and Firefly lights them up. There's only one panel with a girl in the background in a pole. You don't really see strippers because she's still clothed. Yeah. Really, Ben, you want to die on that hill? I will die. I will die. All I'm saying is, is... It's Gotham City, and it's a strip club. You can all be sure I'm the tops saying, will be coming off shortly. I, I am saying that they didn't come off in the comic, and this is about the same level as some of those Archie swimsuit issues that Neil's grandma gave him at the checkout yeah. line. Yeah. 
So, You're not winning this argument, Ben. It's a strip club. <laughs> just accept the fact strip clubs exist. I am. I'm fine with the fact that a strip club exists, but I'm just saying that overall, in the in the grand scheme of the story, I don't think it's overt enough that I would put this on a on a list that kids can't read. Did they um, use the term strip club? I don't think they did. Um, now let's talk about. Let's talk about Black Canary because I think that that was one of the highlights of this book. Oh yeah, this is a flashback story. If I remember correctly, Birds of Prey was already a, an ongoing series by this point, it's and a series of mini series. I think they, I think this came out just after the first ongoing volume came out, which was also penned by Dixon. Uh, yeah. Before Gail Simone started her run, which was some of the best work she did before she started uh, sliding. Um, and what I love about this is there's lots of tongue-in-cheekness about the relationship between uh, Dinah Lance and, uh, and Barbara Gordon. Um, because in Birds of Prey, they are like, they're like best buddies. They're friends. But here... Obviously, Barbara is the much younger, much less experienced character, and Dinah is much more, you know, of a veteran between the two. And it's still, mm -hmm. even with that, the dynamic between the two of them is beautiful. Yeah. The, um, uh, the thing is, I always wondered reading this, is this Dinah or is this her mom? This is Dinah. Because... because because you, because Oliver said "pretty bird" to her when she transported back to the, yeah. the satellite, so that's so definitely. I, I guess it's just maybe the writing and, or a mix of the writing and the art, because it seems like Dinah's so much older, like more her almost her dad's Barbara's dad's age, versus you know in uh, Birds of Prey, they're within you know two or three years of the same age of each other. So that's just how it draws everybody. women. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, towards the end of this uh, two moments I really loved in here and one's very perfectly encapsulated at the end of this sequence with Black Canaries when Robin gives her the bat cycle and he's like you know I got more uh, you know flashbangs and puke gas caps here and I love that earlier scene where he sent her the case full of like batarangs and knockout gas and a proper uh, proper rope mm-hmm and I say that, and the first thing that pops in my head is the boon. It's, what do you need all this fucking rope for? <laughs> but I, I love the fact that from the get-go, Robin, like, first of all, Dick Grayson and Barbara Gordon is one of my favorite ships in comics. Like, hell yes, who else is it gonna be? But uh, I love the fact that Robin is... He's not even, like, year two, Robin. He's barely year two at this story maybe year three and he's already starting to chafe at the restrictions batman has him under he's undermining batman's rules by providing batgirl with all this gear and it's not only that he's doing it because it's just a guy trying to impress the cute girl and i love that that dick grison might be many things but he's still human he's always been a bit of a player but uh but Again, what I really like about this, uh, about the team up between the two of them, is really just again the dynamic and the and the tongue and cheekness of quote unquote future events. Because, like I said, Bird Prey was already running at this point. Of you know, I think Dinah says something about 
you know, let, let's never team up again, that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's funny when you say Birds of Prey Rain, because I think this was about the same time that God Awful Show was on TV. And again, it's that. like, again, like there's one of my favorite panels of this book is there's one where where Dinah like loses her jacket and she's walking out of the burning building. And that's like a fucking awesome panel. Yes. <laughs> um, but over, overall, like I said, it's this really is a story about the characters, about where Batgirl is in her first year, and back to the Robin Macy's where Robin is in his first year. And honestly, I feel like I wouldn't say character study outright, but it really does let you get into the heads of these characters. And it doesn't, I wouldn't say it shows you anything new about their characterization. It sort of mm -hmm. affirms this is who this character is at their best, you know, as they should be, as they always should be, and gives you a fun adventure in that time period, in that slice of time where there, there aren't stories that we see a lot of. And maybe that's what these comics should be doing with these characters, is doing those sorts of slices of stories with characters as they should be at their best in time periods we don't see anymore. Hmm. Maybe that's the answer of how do we fix, how do we fix these co comics with these characters? Yeah, it's, and again, it goes to, uh, you know, Marcos's art and, uh, crap, I can't remember the artist on the first one. Uh, was it Javier Polito on Robin? Like I said before, they both have this, like Darwin Cook, they just have this innate Silver Age quality to their art that just seems to root any story they tell in that period. And, I agree with you, Ben, that like there's some characters, some stories that just kind of firmly belong in a certain time period. It's kind of hard to take this as happening in anything other than, you know, the early 1960s or something by virtue of the art. Because you, you look at, with, especially with the Batgirl, with Marcus art, like he has this very early 60s DC kind of quality to the art. But it also goes to Chuck Dixon's writing because, like, he he's lived and breathed these characters for so long. Because I mean, at this point, he's in maybe he's reaching the peak of his storytelling powers with the Bat Family. There's only a couple of years on from, or within a year or two at least, of the War Games story, which I don't think he was the main architect of that, but. Uh, it's something where he, he was one of the guys they tried to do something different with Batman, but there's something about this era of Batman, this, you know, year four or five Batman, where he's getting Robin and Batgirl, and it, it still seems like the great game. But, you know, the harsh realities of being a crime fighter, you, like, you see it here, like, where Barbara and Canary get ca kidnapped, or sorry, not kidnapped, captured by, uh, by Moth and Firefly at the end of that one issue. And then, uh, you know, like you said, with her canary losing Jack and running out, but dealing with that. The one thing that I love about this is 
the nods to like everything that they talk about here that might seem like throwaway conversations between you know Robin and Commissioner Gordon or you know Batgirl and her dad is it's stuff that would come into play years and years like I think Dixon wrote it like that because he knew fans like us would be seeing this and we'd be reminded of stuff that happened in this issue of Detective or this story in Batman which is set years down the road from the time that this story is taking place in. At least, you know, years before Killer Moth became the Jeff Goldblum fly. <laughs> so, this is the one thing I want to ask you, Neil, that you being an artist, like, who, which series has your thumbs up for the art? Like, which one do you think has the better art? Was it Javier Polito or Marcos Martin with the Batgirl? That's. That's hard to say because I thought that the the Batgirl one was a little more uh had a little more detail, it was like more of my speed, but like I kind of dug the retro style of the Robin one too. Like I I could almost feel the the uh I don't remember who voiced Batman, but like the the the, the almost Hanna Barbera voices, the the one guy and then you had Casey Kasem as Robin. I could almost hear that in my Wasn't head. that Alan Soul? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Because <laughs> it, it was just, it was like, it was almost like right out of the original comics. Not quite, but it was like, it was like kind of channeling that. So I thought that and, was really cool. You know, because you mentioned that name. Like I mentioned Bruce Greenwood earlier. I I kind of hear Bruce Greenwood coming out of the Batman in both these series versus Kevin Conroy. Like there's something about Bruce Greenwood's voice that it it has it definitely has a sense of lightness to it compared to Kevin Conroy's Batman mm-hmm. like he still gets that really gruff edge to him uh i totally hear Bruce Greenwood voice but the best thing is when we see Robin in here in these two stories it's nothing but Robin Lester for me like now- from TAS now, also, mm. the one thing I want to add is, uh, is can we really call member berries the uh, references to, you know, chronologically future events here? Like, again, the, the Canary call out and also uh, the whole thing with Joker and Batgirl. What I like about that is, again, number one, there wasn't this need of, oh, we need one of the mainline villains so Batgirl can prove herself. Because having her against a lame villain doesn't really matter because uh, because her her antagonistic forces aren't super villains. It's like her father, her uh, her against her lot in life. Those are the antagonistic forces. So mm-hmm. having a super villain, uh, one of the big name super villains, isn't really necessary. But yeah, but they have the beginning of the eighth chapter. Ben has an appearance by one of my. All-time favorite Z grade. No, he he's up there, but that's the first blockbuster, not uh, not uh, from Nightwing. I'm talking about uh, Chapter Eight and the goddamn Condiment King. He was originally oh an animated series. He's originally an animated series only character too. I was wondering about that. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> I well, yeah, that he's he's in canon of DC Comics at this point. Okay. Yeah, but much like but, Harley Quinn. He got started the animated series. Um, yeah. But 
I think the Joker only shows up, not even like physically shows up, but shows up twice in this book. First time is when Robin shows the rogues gallery to Batgirl, and he's like, if you see this clown, run. And then the final scene when she goes through the shooting gallery one last time, like purposefully the artist drew the Joker in his killing joke outfit. Yes. Which is just extremely on the nose. But also, like, do you can you call it a member barrier or, or a uh, like what can you call that? Is it a reference? It's a reference. It is a there... reference. I think it's okay as long as it doesn't like go out of its way to call attention to itself. It's like if if you know, you know. But if you don't know, it's not going to be a stumbling block. It's yeah, not going to be not, something. It's not going to be something homework. like it's a looming. It's yeah. not a looming presence throughout the entire story, which I yeah. think yeah. is a, which I think is a testament to Chuck Dixon's uh, restraint with that because any other writer would make this whole thing with the Joker in it, with the Joker always being this looming presence, like always hinting about what's going to happen later. And because I mean, the the two appearances of blockbuster are their references, but they're very much Robin specific character references. And it's more of like a throwaway line than a, than an out and out. This is going to be your future, or this is your future antagonist. It's much more subdued than that. Which again, yeah, I can't sing the praises enough of Chuck Dixon and his restraint in doing a story like this. Yep. Or maybe it's the opposite that just other authors are have such a need to like put in these references and. And the one thing I have to ask Neil is again, as a normie, how approachable and uh, and immersible were these two books for you? Very approachable. I mean, if you if you know these characters at all from any of the source material, even as I said, the the Hanna Barbera versions, you're pretty much going to know what these are. Yeah, the, nothing's really going to be a stumbling block. You're going to be able to jump right in. Not even a you don't even get a moment of where it's like. Hey, wait a minute! This character won't like act like this. Like you don't have no. that jarring again. Like I said, because these characters fit where they're supposed to be in the public zeitgeist of mm-hmm. who they're supposed to be. Maybe you see a different side of them, but nothing's so jarring to go, "Hey, wait! Batman will never say that." Yeah, and the the thing is, by the end of the Batgirl miniseries, like with the shooting gallery. You know, you mentioned Ben. Honestly, uh, that's just classic Joker. That's the, the only thing that's killing joke from that is like the hat. Pose. Well, it's also the pose. Well, it's just yeah, like a, just like that, a cover. That's a member berry, you know, uh, or reference, whatever. Also, I got to say, I love the fact that throughout the Batgirl uh, series, we keep running into uh, Jason Bard, who's like a deep cut uh, Batman character from like the seventies. Is like this lame detective on a crutch who has been, you know, adjacent to the Bat family. But I love by the end of this story, like she's she's proven herself to be, that that she is serious. She doesn't see it as a game. He puts her through the gallery, brings her out to his parents' grave. You know, she takes the oath. Um, I love the little misdirect with, uh, you know. Uh, Commissioner Gordon is like, I will take two sidekicks, Batman, and that's fucking it. And then he turns around when Barbara comes out, and he turns around, huh? Ah, huh? oh, oh, son of a bitch, she isn't Batgirl. 
It's because that's what that look on Commissioner Gordon's face. He he's defeated. He's like, yes, I've got it. I've won this argument with my oh, son of a bitch. I'm not right. And, oh. and then they th- that one of the most classic comic book shots in this entire series, in my opinion, is that that second last panel of Batgirl and the gargoyle, the scarecrow looming over, and his goons, you know, poised with like guns and whatnot, and then. You have Batman and Robin coming in behind her, and she's got that smile. It's like, oh yeah, we're gonna whoop you now, kind of look, like that. Just but that scene of her on the gargoyle like that—that that is like that's a hundred percent comics right there. And uh, again, I feel like like this is a very good book. If you like anything Batman, and if you're a casual fan, this book is up there. I think this is a better book for a casual reader. Or casual comic book fan than even uh, Frank Miller's much uh, lauded uh, Batman Year One, which mm-hmm. deserves its place in comics history. It, it definitely does, and it is a good book. But I think Batman Year One is much more. It has much more of the things that Neil has a problem with. Of we gotta see all this stuff again. We gotta see him make the costume. We gotta see where the where the Batmobile comes from. We gotta see where this comes from. We gotta see where that comes from. Gotta like, see how he finds the cave. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, oh, sorry, you go, Ben. And I think that Batgirl Year One, while it does have a little bit of the this is how she gets her equipment, um, like Batgirl's first year of operating is such a blank canvas. And the story about how she became Batgirl because of a costume party is so bare bones and so um, light that the motive of why she did it for a costume party could be up to interpretation. The fact that she did it as a way to get back at her dad adds dimension to it. Because I don't think that was ever dimension to it in the past. Mm. No, I mean, the original Silver Age origin is literally just she created the Batgirl costume for a Halloween party. She (laughs) rescues Bruce Wayne and it's nothing other than the driving sense of duty that she inherited from her father drove her to become Batgirl, and they added to that over time. Uh, But as far as these year one stories go, uh, I did a little bit beyond, and one thing I wanted to bring up to you guys real quick as we kind of start, you know, lean towards closing, wrapping up. uh, Did Have either of you ever read Chuck Dixon's Nightwing year one storyline from the ongoing Nightwing? I have, but I think that's too deep of a cut for Neil. Mm. Okay. Uh, just to, to sell it to you really quick, Neil, is it takes place between the moment that Bruce Wayne fires Dick Grayson from being Robin when, you know, he's always running away to Hudson University or leading the Titans. And in between the first time he shows up in the pimp collar and gold wings as Nightwing. Mm. And you, you, you know, they have like one of the classic tenets of Nightwing's origin is that he got the name from Superman who told him of this crime fighter on you know, Krypton that he learned about by going through the, the Fortress of Solitude's records. Uh, you, it encounters the first, or it details the first encounter between Dick Grayson and Jason Todd. Uh, kind of what went into Nightwing's mindset of, you know, like how he came about creating Nightwing as something separate from Batman, but also being inspired by Batman. You get the origin of the Escrimistics, like where Dick first got the, which is my favorite weapon in uh, comic books, is the Escrima Sticks. As much as I love the Billy Club 
Nightwing did it better, Matt. Uh, so if you can find it, it's uh, Nightwing 101 through 106. And it took place just after that really... I don't know if you call it regrettable. I th- I kind of use that word where uh, Tarantula shoots uh, Blockbuster oh, dead and then has that some- encounter... I was being nice about it, Ben. No, it's uh, when, when the fucking writer it, says it's not rape, it's non consensual sex, it's rape. Yeah. Uh, it's right there, and then he goes off and becomes a mob enforcer for a little while and kind of teams up with Deathstroke before he gets his dick, gets his groove back, and goes back to being uh, Nightwing. So if you enjoy these sort of stories, I, I would highly recommend it. It's all art by Scott McDaniel, who's probably my favorite Nightwing artist. Um, <laughs> I, 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 when, when I say he's my favorite artist, I mean specifically the first couple of years of the ongoing Nightwing title, where, where he was a little raw, he was a little rough. I think that really worked for the storytelling. Mm. You like, you like angular lines, don't you, Neil? Lots of angular lines, don't you, Neil? That depends on what it is. I said Scott McDaniel, not Todd McFarlane. Ben, get your facts <laughs> right. Let me find a panel to show you, Neil. Oh, okay. Ben, can you just not beat the dead horse for once, please? <laughs> just once. It's, it's... You, you, you've established the point. I understand your point. You do not need to na- put any more nails in this particular coffin. Decepticonism. <laughs> Fuck you both. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's not so uh, bad. That and that's more like the was two thousand three, yeah, two thousand five. So this is just uh, just around the same time, if not just slightly post Infinite Crisis. Ah, well, again, all that because of the fact that we we're talking about lots of different things there. Not just Bat Mythos, but Superman and the, the City of Candor and Nightwing and Firebird or Krypton. Like that, th- this is lots of deep cut stuff, and I would not, and I could not, in good conscience, recommend Nightwing Year One to. And no offense, Neil, ignore me. Okay. Because, like I said, lots of deep cuts, lots of. Lots of stuff that just goes a little too far. Lots of stuff that that you have to like. Oh, I have to reference this. I have to reference that. I have to go. I have to go back to this book here with this other tangential character. Like if you're just a Batman fan, you you will not enjoy your Nightwing Year One as much as you would enjoy these other Year Ones I talked about. Um, but that's just my opinion. I I cannot like. Again, Robin Year One and Batgirl Year One are fantastic. I think they are perfect for someone like Neil. Okay. And it's, you can almost look, if you go Batman Year One, Robin Year One, Batgirl Year One, you you can see a bit of character progression for Batman. (laughs) Excuse me. And just you see how he was in you know that that classic kind of noirish tale in your Batman Year One and where he's at in Robin and then Batgirl. It's he's not, and that's the best thing about those two things. While they are Batman characters, 
he's not a he's more of a looming presence in those stories than anything folks like he's there but he's not directly driving the story especially in batgirl like he's there but he's not a huge part of it it's barbara gordon's story through and through just like robin is dick's story batman's a little more heavily involved because it's his dad basically which is also my favorite moment of nightwing 100 have you read that yet neil no yeah he nightwing hugs bruce at alfred's grave and call uh, says i love you dad and that that got a tear or two out of me mm. But, oh, yeah. but anyways, like I said, that's what I that's what I like about the stories. And uh, let's just wrap this up. Uh, overall um, recommendation: Would you recommend this book sure. to a casual reader? Okay, Neil yeah. says sure. I say absolutely. JT, of two minds on both these stories, I would definitely recommend Robin. Batgirl is it's a recommend. But I would say read Robin first and see how you feel about it afterwards. Mm. Just because I know a lot of friends that I've recommended comics to that, you know, Robin is an, a light breeze. It's about half the length of Batgirl, though by no means any less impactful. So it's Batgirl is a bit of a longer story. It's a little deeper. I would recommend it. But again, users may vary. You got to want to do the reading. but uh anyways that's the most we can say about that uh, let's wrap this up uh so it's a recommendation around a lot oh, across the board here uh this mm -hmm. show's ben jt from saskatoon and tv's mr neil and we're saying good night good so long